Good morning and welcome back. If you're just tuning in, uh, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church. This is High Point Online, and we're thrilled to be with you today as we get into uh, the scriptures today and learn to follow Jesus in a more transformative, life-changing way. We're in a series right now. Uh, it's a long title, illustrating the very nature of the problem that we're talking about. It's called What to Do with the Impossibly Difficult, Overwhelmingly Complicated Problem of People. It is a mouthful. Uh, and the reality is it illustrates the, the challenging nature of relationships. Here we believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. Uh, he was 33 years old, as the scriptures tell us, uh, when he went to the cross for you and me. But because he lived a perfect life and he atoned for your sin and my sin, he lived the perfect life that you and I could not do. God is perfect. His presence is holy. And we had no ability uh, to live with him, no ability to, to, to have relationship with him because of our sin. It created eternal separation between us and God, between you and God. But Jesus did what we couldn't do, and he lived a perfect life, and he sacrificed himself for you and for me. And the good news of that we believe is absolutely life-changing, eternally life-changing, as a matter of fact. And I want to encourage you to put your faith in that today, to literally put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, the one who can save you from your sins. But beyond putting your faith in Christ, one of the other things that we want to teach is how to actually follow him. How to surrender your life in such a way that your life begins to look like his life. That your life would be a mirror of, of, the, of the kingdom life. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control on full display. This is what we want to see. Not just that we would put our faith in Jesus in a singular moment, but that your life would also demonstrate a life of faith. That's the purpose of our series today, previous several weeks, and in the weeks coming up. I'm having a great time with it. <laughs> I hope you are too. Uh, it's challenging even to me as I'm preparing and working uh, on these messages. So today, I want to talk to you about what it looks like in your relationships when you have a prideful, arrogant, or boastful heart. A boastful posture before the people that you're in relationship with. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 4. This is, the, this is the, verse, the verses that we've been reading through. It says this, that love is patient, love is kind. Love, it, it does not envy, and it does not boast. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, and it does not boast. It isn't Proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I've said this in recent weeks. I'm saying it again. Paul does not give us the exhaustive list and definition of what love is. 
There are lots of things that Jesus talks about love doing and, and love acting out. And, and Paul doesn't even mention that here. He doesn't really talk about love being sacrificial in this moment. Even though we can deduce uh, from, from what he's saying that love isn't, that this would be the natural uh, response on the other side of the fence. But here we've got this description of what love is and what love is not. And in this particular case, love is not proud and it does not boast. Now, I, I love sci-fi. People like to make fun of me for that from time to time. <laughs> I do. I'm kind of a nerd about it. That's fine. I have no shame in it. I also love sports. One of my, my favorite sports is baseball. Okay. And baseball is funny when it comes to boasting because baseball is, is a very sensitive sport as it pertains to players being boastful about what they've done on or off the field. Now, all sports are, and, and, and athletes are notorious, right, for being arrogant and being boastful. But nothing comes to mind more than in 2015 playoff series, game five in the American League Division series between the Blue Jays and the Rangers, okay? Uh, there is a, a, the hitter for the Blue Jays, his name is Jose Batista, okay? And he is famous now in baseball history for, for something that took place. The, the, the series was 0-2. The Rangers had been up. You know, they've only got one more game to clinch the series. Uh, but the Blue Jays waged battle, and they, they got back in the series. And the series is tied 2-2. Two and two. And whoever wins the next game goes on to the next, uh, the next portion of the playoffs. And so uh, Jose Batista comes to bat in the, uh, in the seventh inning. There's two outs. It's been a contentious game, a contentious series, and everybody knows like this could very well be the, the hitter that takes us in, into the, in, that, that wins the game. And so you've got a 97 mile per hour fastball. The, the stadium is electric. If you've ever been to a sporting event where there's this much tension, it is an electrifying moment. And the pitcher winds up, throws the ball. It's a 97-mile-per-hour fastball. That is lightning fast. And Batista cranks that thing over the left field wall. And the stadium goes crazy. The Blue Jays haven't been this far. You know, haven't, haven't had a chance to go to the World Series in a long time. And this place goes crazy. Crazy, and they go on to win the game. But as Batista is rounding the bags, as he's circling his home run moment, and he touches home plate, it's a matter of seconds before both teams clear their dugouts and they're ready to fight. And it wasn't because Batista hit a home run. It's what he did as he was leaving the plate. And I have brought with me this morning a baseball card illustrating this very moment. It's captured on camera. You can YouTube it as well. But what Batista is famous for is the bat flip that is heard round the world, right? As, as many of the articles in the, in the newspaper or online wrote about. 
When Batista hit the baseball, right, and it's flying over left field wall, he stares kind of menacingly, right, at the Rangers. And then he, he, he flips his baseball bat up in the air like, I'm all that. You've got nothing on me. I just dominated you. I just owned you. I'm the best right? The bat flip, the notorious, most infamous bat flip heard round the world. And he tossed that bat up in the air and then just strutted his way around the bases. And by the time he got to home plate, both teams were ready to knock each other out. Why? It's not just because somebody won and somebody lost. It's because people don't like boasting. Love does not envy, and love does not boast. Now, as, as baseball players, people are not called, right, to, to adhere, right, to the same uh, prescription of love that Paul writes about. But understand something. There is, there, there is there's something in our culture and in our relationships, when, when it, Christian or not, when these qualities are lacking, people notice. People don't, they don't live in healthy relationship when they're envious. There's not a healthy relationship when there's jealousy at work. People don't like when 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 the relationships around them are arrogant and prideful and boastful. It's impossible for the relationship to truly move forward. It leaves in a way that honors Christ. Love does not parade itself. It's not full of itself. It doesn't celebrate itself. It doesn't cheer itself on. It doesn't call attention to itself or make itself the spectacle. And this is very, this is contrary to much of what culture embraces right now. Think about all of the energy spent making ourselves look great, making ourselves the center of, the, of, of attention, making ourselves the parade, making ourselves the spectacle. It's all about me. And it's not. The healthiest relationships and the relationships that honor Jesus are the kind where we put others, the Bible says, first. And we serve each other unto the Lord. Turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to illustrate this in, 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 in a parable today, a story that Jesus, uh, that Jesus tells. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. We're going to read it through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, uh, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank God I'm not like this guy. I fast twice a week and I, I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I will tell you, Jesus says, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Both of these men have come to the temple to pray. Both of these men have come to worship. Both of these men are working class people, right? They share the same stresses. They've got the same anxieties. They've got things that probably keep them up at night just like you. They have good days and bad days. And yet there's a fork in the road that Jesus describes that separates the two of these people. And it's the word self-exaltation. One man beats his breast in more or less agony at the condition of his life before a perfect and holy God. And he is begging for mercy. While another man beats his breast in in, in other fashion and basically says, God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. Oh, man, thank you, Lord. Think about this for just a minute. This, the, the Pharisee, okay, the, the guy who is not justified before God at the end of this parable. This guy attends church. He probably attends every single week. Uh, it says that he, he uh, what's the, what does the text actually say? Um, that the, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, right? The, 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 the emphasis here is that he's, he's, he's moving towards the front of the temple, okay? He's not in the back. He's, he's, he's in the front row. This guy walks in. He probably doesn't miss a Sunday service. He fasts. He prays. He's not stuck in any, you know, just massive sin pattern that you see, at least from the outside. He's faithful to his family. He's giving a tenth of all the... Give this man an award, okay? This is the kind of guy you're looking at and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, we may want to hire this guy, you know, for the staff position in church. And yet inside his heart is self-righteousness and self-exaltation. And he is not justified before the Lord. If we're really honest with this passage, and we're really honest with this parable, this is a really difficult text to wrestle with. Let me illustrate it in... in well, there's there's a movie that I there's a movie that I like, and it's called Minority Report. If you've ever read the book, um, it's an older movie, Tom Cruise, uh, and it's it's a movie about um, a a a psychic technology that allows to predict crime. And so there's a whole new division of of the police task force called pre crime. And it's specifically designed to predict when a crime of passion or, or murder is getting ready to take place. And, and the, 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 the police officer who's heading up this crime division, right? He's, 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 he's got accolades and awards, and he's, he's, he's done well for himself as a police officer. And he's heading up pre-crime. His name is John Anderson. And as the movie progresses... You know, one of the ways that this worked is you'd have a name that would appear, uh, you know, with this, this technology, the victim, the victim's name would appear. And so they would know who was about to be murdered in the future. And then another name would appear, and it was the name of the person committing the murder. 
set to happen in the future. And so the pre-crime unit would do their work. They'd find out uh, you know, where the, 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 the soon-to-be victim it was going to be. And they would arrest the person that's getting ready to commit the crime before the person actually committed the crime. And so the tension of the story is when John Anderton, head of the police unit, is at work and a victim named Leo Crow pops up. The one who's to be murdered in just a few short days. And then the name of the person who does the murdering, his name is John Anderton himself. And the name pops up and he's stunned because he doesn't even know this man. He's never heard of this man's name before. It, 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 it creates this amazing cat and mouse moment where he begins to run and then he begins to question the, 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 the ethical nature of arresting people for a crime that they haven't yet committed. And how reliable is this, et cetera, et cetera. But the moment of truth comes when, when the, you know, the watch goes off and it's the exact time that the, that the psychic technology predicted that, that John Anderton would kill this man and he's in the room with this person named Leo Crow and, and, and they finally met each other and the moment of climax happens and you're ready to like jump off the couch because it's this tense and Tom Cruise's character realizes the technology was 100% accurate. See, he could, he did not, he refused to see himself in the light of being somebody who could murder. And then the conditions were perfectly arranged. And literally out of his own mouth, he says, this thing is 100% right. I am going to kill this man. It's an incredibly tense scene. The reason I, 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 I share this as an illustration is that many of us, kind of like this Tom Cruise character, we are, we're, we're running from, from this idea of possibly being identified as the criminal in this case. In short, what Jesus' parable is meant to do to the listeners who are, who are hearing and the listeners who are seeing is to confront the reality that they're facing. We don't want to admit that our nature is really as jacked up and corrupt as it really is. In fact, listen to the words of the Pharisee one more time. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Now we can read that and be like, oh gosh, I, this guy, this guy is deplorable. Right, this the, the the issues that this guy has. I would never want to be in a relationship with him. I would I would never be friends with that guy. He's so boastful. He's so arrogant. He's so prideful. We understand the detestable quality of this, and yet even in our in in our breath as we're reading the text, we're doing the very thing. That Jesus Christ is, is trying to help us see that's the problem on the inside. We're literally comparing ourselves to the Pharisee. And we're thinking to ourselves, thank God, I am not like this guy. 
I relate so much more to the person who's begging God for mercy. I maybe don't fully embody that, but at least I'm not like him. And the cycle has completed itself once again. There is a boasting, an arrogance, a pride that has crept into our hearts. And we genuinely think that we are better than other people. We do. The condition of our life, rather than comparing ourselves to a perfect and holy and righteous God, we compare ourselves to the person next to us and we think to ourselves, you know what, I've got some things I'm struggling with, but thank God I'm not dealing with this. Thank God I'm not like other people. Is this not the mantra of the day? And we do everything we can to make sure that our independence and our uniqueness and the things that make us special are highlighted above everything else. I am not like other people. I'm not. My righteousness exceeds that of others. My holiness, my spirituality. Think of all the things we do to make sure that people know that we're just not quite like everyone else. The boastful posture, make no mistake about it, when you are boastful before God, and many times in subtle ways that you don't even know, you don't even realize has crept in, but that boasting and arrogance, when you're that way before the Lord, you can't help but be that way before people. Can't help it. Think of the ways that we're, 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 we're boastful, where we set, try to set ourselves apart and make sure that people know that we're not like other people. Look at what I've accomplished. <laughs> oh, my word. If, I, if we haven't, I mean, we don't have enough hours in the day. Right to scan and read and look about all the social posts that people want to make sure that people see so that they, they're, they're, they're acknowledged for all of the important things that they've done. Now, that's not to say that you should never be recognized, that you can't ever be praised. But there is, a, there is an insecurity underlying this foundation in that we look for the praises of people. We look for validation from others. See, envy uh, is an interesting thing. We talked about envy uh, last week, right? We, 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 we talked about envy, an envious heart wants what someone else has, but a boastful heart wants others to be envious of what we have. Let me say that, I'll say that again in case you missed it. An envious heart wants what someone else has, but a boastful heart wants others to be envious of what we have. It's a vicious relationship here. I want you to want what I have because it gives me a measure of superiority. It makes me feel important, and therefore I am in some ways better than the people I'm around, the people that I know, the people I go to church with, the people that I know at the gym, the people that I know uh, in my neighborhood, people in my family, people. 
Look at what the scriptures say. The Bible says this in Proverbs 27.2. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. An outsider and not your own lips. You don't have to tell everybody what books you're reading. You don't. Guilty. You don't have to tell everybody all the time of every single thing that you've done and accomplished in this world. Because somehow you are God's gift to everything. Look what I've accomplished. Look, look, I'm vaccinated. Right? Oh, oh, we're, we're, we're getting there now, aren't we? Right? We want people to know that I got this vaccine. And therefore, those of you who haven't, I am different than you. I'm better than you. Now. I'm not telling you don't get a vaccine. I actually think you should. But there are subtle things that happen, are there not? Where, where our actions and our accomplishments creep into our heart, and rather than it just being what you feel led to do before the Lord, you feel this need to, to put a stamp on it and make sure that people know what you're doing. Look what I've accomplished. We do it at the gym. Look how strong I am. Look at the workout I can do. Look how fast I am. Look how much weight I can lose. Here's me with, you know, my shirt off this time. And, you know, here are my calves this week. And here's my toe muscle this week. And here's my finger dexterity. And I mean, we want everybody to know every aspect of every single thing we've accomplished. You don't have to. You don't have to live that way. It's not just look what I've accomplished, though. It's look who I'm with. Corinthian church, the, the, the disciples here wanted everyone to know who they were being discipled by. They wanted everybody to know who their favorite preacher was and who they were listening to. And so there's these contentious uh, battles taking place on who you were with. And so there's division and factions and people are working their gift mix, right? They're, they're emphasizing their gifts. They're not serving one another. They're literally building their own platform to make sure that they are noticed. Look who I'm with. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I'm able to do. And we do the same thing. Look who I'm with. Look at the church I'm a part of. Look at my this. I'm tied to this person. We see this. We saw this play out. We still see it play out even in the election cycle that just took place. And let me tell you something. This isn't to say that you shouldn't be prayerful about who you vote for. But again, what can creep in is this need for people to see who you're with so that you have an air of being superior to those who are not. Boastful, being arrogant, being prideful, rather than loving people where they are and serving them sacrificially and considering others better than yourself. It doesn't matter. Honestly, it doesn't matter who someone voted for. You are called to love them all the same. And you are called to lay your life down for them and to serve them sacrificially. 
You do not have the right to carry yourself in a manner that is boastful or arrogant or superior. You do not. And it is the antithesis of kingdom life. And it is the opposite of how Jesus carried himself. And then lastly, look what I have. Look what I have. Look what I've done. Look who I'm with and look what I have. (laughs) I don't even need to explain this one very much. You know what it's like when you want to make sure that people know you're doing well. You got that new shirt. You got that book collection. You got that this and you got that and you kind of just subtly leave it out, you know, just, oh, I, I didn't realize that was there, you're right? And you just, you're passive about it. You know what's going on in your heart. There is a desire to boast about what you have. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 says this, that this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. God doesn't say that you can't boast. He says that if you're going to boast, boast in this. Boast in me. Boast in the one who's righteous. Boast in the one who's just. Boast in the one who has given you the ability to know him. In other words, the one who has transformed your life. If you're going to talk about somebody and praise something and boast about something, let it not be ourselves. Let it not be what we've done or what we've accomplished, or who we're with, or who we've, we've attached our wagon to. Let it be Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Prince of peace. Let us boast in him that he died our death on the cross, rose again triumphant on the third day, and gives life to those who would put their faith in him. This is what we boast in. He's made a way for you and I to know him. The jacked up, arrogant, prideful, boastful sinner. God has made a way. And let us be the ones who beat our chest and say, God, thank you for showing me mercy. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, let me boast in this. This is who my eyes are set upon. This is what my lips proclaim. Let it not be me. Let me not be arrogant, Father, prideful before you or before people. There's no one like you. I tell you, verse 14, that it was that man, the man with a broken heart, a humbled posture before the Lord, Oh, his life was a wreck. But his heart was broken and tender before Jesus. It was that man who went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, thank you in this moment. 
that you're working and that you're moving and that you're ministering to us. God, I pray that we would, Lord, have the heart to repent of where we're arrogant and where we're prideful and boastful. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. We thank you that you're merciful and that you're gracious to us in this moment. We love you and worship you. Amen. Love does not envy. Love is not proud. Love does not boast. Let's live that out today. See you right here next week. Love you.